0: Exclusive podcast from Impact 89 FM.
1: WDBM East Lansing.
0: You think the Pistons are playoff bound? Yeah, play this MSU team deserves to be in a BCS bowl. Still and always will be hockey you know. time. You can't hit in this league. You got it. <laughs> I'm Alex Shargan. Welcome to April. Coming up on today's show: Russell Bird forgoes his senior season, and Miguel Cabrera traded on opening day. All this and more. This is the Spartan Sports Rap. I had to do it. I had to do it. It's April Fools. No, Russell Bird isn't going pro. He's not foregoing his senior season, and Miguel Cabrera wasn't traded either on opening day today. That's all just a joke. I'm Alex Shark. Welcome to the Spartan Sports Wrap on Impact eighty nine FM, eighty eight point nine WDBM east lansing you can listen to us online at www.impact89fm.org uh if you are in your car if you're outside of the mid michigan area you can stream us all over the country we have listeners as far as san jose state university and miami florida so we appreciate all the national support at the spartan sports rap if it's your first time tuning into today's show let me explain to you how the show is set up we always have a special guest each week uh Four weeks ago, we had Clarissa Belgard for the Michigan State Spartans. We also had MSU State uh, basketball beat writer Josh Mansuart for the State News. And two weeks ago, Dan Dickerson, play-by-play voice for the Detroit Tigers, joined us. Last week, we had Dan Cryer, Ph.D. student who is studying uh, team affiliation and sports research. And this week, I'm very proud to announce that we have a former... Biffer of mine, for those of you who do not know what that means, WBFH Bloomfield Hills is a radio station uh, in the Metro Detroit area that this guy to my left and myself were once on long ago. Uh, Lloyd Pradell joins us today, and he is the special guest of honor. Lloyd is an experienced coach, player, and basketball enthusiast who loves coaching and hopes to one day coach the highest level of Division I coaching the Big Ten Conference. Big goals, big dreams, I think he'll get there communication major and future grad school student Lloyd. Uh, From what I understand what we've been talking about, first of all, great to have you on. Second, uh, you've been coaching uh, as far as AAU and as far as San Antonio uh, all over. So talk about basically what you've done, what you've learned as a player, how it helps you with your coaching even.
1: Thank you for having me, Alex. Um, Yeah, I grew up with a father as a coach, so kind of been around the game my whole life and always knew I wanted to go into coaching. And uh, I started out, when I was in ninth grade, I started coaching, helping out with some of the younger kids, elementary, middle school, and kind of just kept with it, followed it, helped my dad's high school team coach, and uh, I was down in San Antonio a couple years ago helping um, his high school team, and that's kind of when I really knew that that's what I wanted to do and um, go into coaching basketball, so... I'm going to grad school next year for that, hopefully. Great. And, um, well,
0: it, it sounds like you've got the experience. Now, at, at the San Antonio location, did you see some pretty good players coming up? Do you still keep in contact with anyone today?
1: Not really. The The game down there is a lot different than the Detroit game. It's a lot more fundamental, whereas when you see players in Detroit, it's a lot of um, just hard-nosed physical play and a lot more athleticism. And that's kind of the game that I liked. I, I liked um, staying up here and looking – the players up there and um, watching like a lot of the Detroit prep guys come right, up like Keith right. Appling and Derek Nix I got to w- a chance to watch him when he was in ninth, 10th grade when he was still bigger and, right now and, I'm sure that
0: helps you even and, seeing some of these phenomenal players here in the mid-Michigan area metro Detroit area and then you go back to San Antonio bring some of these in-game experiences that you've sat, that you've had with some of these guys back to San Antonio with you
1: correct yep and I might go down there to uh, help my dad coach, but I think I'm going to try and stay up in the Detroit area and go from there.
0: Both seem like great options. If you were just tuning in and if it is your first time tuning into the Spartan Sports app, we start with MSU Sports first. That's your Michigan State football, basketball, volleyball, anything that we deem possible to talk about on the air. If you would like to talk about something that we are not talking about right now, 517 432 3893 is the number. Again, 517 432 3893. You can also tweet at us at 89FM Sportswrap. That's the Twitter handle. Any topics you'd like us to talk about, any suggestions, anything that you deem that we really need to get into during the show, we'd love to hear from you. So keep in touch with us and we'll give you a follow back. Uh, Coming up on today's show, let me just give you a little bit of a lineup. Uh, At 7.08, about four minutes from now, we'll get into opening day baseball. Uh, Detroit Tigers kicking off against the Twinkies today in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Uh, Is that going to be an interesting game for Torrey Hunter? We'll get into all kinds of topics all opening day at 7.08. At 7.25, just around there, MSU basketball in March Madness. There's a lot of pro potential talks between Adrian Payne, even Gary Harris, who's very young to even come out right now. Lloyd and I will break it all down, and we'll even get into some of the shocks, and I'm not talking about just the shockers, but the game between Louisville and Duke last night was another shock that we certainly will get into later in the broadcast. 740, we'll get into MSU football. There is some big recruiting news coming out in the state of Illinois and also Ohio for the Michigan State Spartans, so we'll get into why you should pay attention to just that thing. 7.50, we'll get into Detroit Red Wings coverage, we haven't got to them in a a couple weeks, so it's about time, especially with with the playoffs looming, it's very, very close, so we'll get into how the Detroit Red Wings will not only do in the playoffs, but how the Red Wings will mold some of their defensemen to be elite, just like the legendary Nicholas Lidstrom. And of course, at 7.55, we have our annual Goon of the Week. Last week's Goon, the boxer who pretended his, who, who basically faked his own death very hard to follow up on. So uh, Lloyd and I actually met right before the show, and we thought of a very good Goon in wake of March Madness in Michigan State basketball. So if you are a student out there, you're going to love this especially too. And even if you're not, if you are a parent of a student, if you know the Michigan State community and campus. We'll get into the lo- the multiple locations of these quote unquote goons later at seven fifty five. Uh before we get into our uh uh and, and, and before we get into our uh our opening day discussions at seven oh eight, uh, we usually have our Chad Ocho Zero not Johnson, not Ocho Cinco, but Zero segment. That's right, because Chad Johnson does not have an NFL team. He is still Zero in terms of completing a contract with any NFL team today. There's nothing new coming out this week. Each week we always update you with the latest in Chad Johnson. If you are just tuning in, if you have not heard us before, last week Chad Johnson had his his probation lowered at his attempt to get back to the NFL even quicker. Uh, A couple weeks before that he tweeted, quote, I've made four grammatical spelling errors since the new year has begun. That's unacceptable and I won't be tweeting for a week. And, quote, he ended up tweeting one day later. So he really did not do his part in terms of disciplining his Twitter abilities there. Uh, Chad Johnson also earlier in the year was involved in a domestic abuse case with his wife, Evelyn Lozada. They currently are divorced. He is under FBI investigations because of his uh, alleged sex tapes in Florida hotel rooms. A whole bunch with Chad Johnson. So keep staying tuned each week at the Spartan Sports Wrap and we'll break it all down for you. Uh Lloyd, uh, let's just start it off right now with opening day baseball. Tigers, we'll give you a score update too because uh, with, with the first game, Torrey Hunter in his new stadium, uh, there was a lot of hype, a lot of questions in the air how he was going to do. Came off a great year last year with, uh, with the LA Angels. Uh, but now he goes into Minneapolis and he's facing this, this Minnesota team who has had some struggles. Uh, Torrey Hunter today so far 2 for 4 uh, one strikeout, no RBIs, but a solid at 500. Uh, Lloyd, coming into this game, first of all, what were some of your doubts with the Tigers? And second of all, how important is this game for Tory Hunter?
1: Well, first off, I was excited for Tigers baseball. I'm a huge Tigers fan and knowing that we got ter- Tory Hunter was amazing because, you know, that was a big part last year. Of, I think we just needed that good, solid fifth hitter and Victor Martinez was hurt. And I was looking at the lineup today, and he's actually hitting in the two slot, which is good, and got rid of Brandon Bosch. So Victor Martinez came back, and he can hit in the fifth slot. I think that's going to help the lineup a lot because one through five is a very solid lineup, and it's almost you look at it, it's like an all-star lineup. Right.
0: Now, actually, breaking news right now, Victor Martinez walked Prince Fielder a second, so it looks like they may increase that lead a little bit. There's no outs right here. Victor Martinez, four straight balls. Uh, very good now. You mentioned Torrey Hunter uh, just at the plate, just grounded out. But um, Torrey Hunter at the two slot. I mean, we've seen Jim Leland do all sorts of things. We've seen him play Dirks there. We've seen Infante there as he was earlier when he was a Tiger years ago. You know, looking back on the days of Dean Palmer and Bobby Higginson and and then the Infante era, which wasn't really definable. But uh, you look at all the kinds of, uh, of workings at this two position. And now you have Torrey Hunter. Followed by, like you said, Victor Martinez coming off an injury, Cabrera, Fielder, Martinez. I mean, that just seems dirty. Are the Tigers the absolute favorite, not only in the AL, but to win the World Series?
1: Yes, I think so. The only team that I'm really worried about when I was looking is the LA Angels. Now, why is that? Because they have, uh, who did they get? They got... What's his name? Um, Josh Hamilton from Texas. Yeah. Now that's a scary lineup too. But I think with the Tigers that we can do it because I mean, just one through five, and then Infante was batting two last year, leading off sometimes when Jackson couldn't. Now he's in the nine slot. So you went from having you know an important slot at two. Now he's at the nine slot. So that's just a solid lineup one through nine. Right.
0: Now five one seven four three two three eight nine three. Before Lloyd and I get into this discussion. Uh, discussion about if this is a make or break year for Detroit, if this is the only time the Tigers have any chance at all of winning a World Series, will their lineup change next year? If the Tigers do not come through this year after unfortunately dropping four games of the the San Francisco Giants' last World Series, is this the time? Is this the only chance that David Dombrowski will give his team to do any damage when it comes to winning a World Series? 517-432-3893. 517-432-3893. We'd love to hear from you. You can also tweet at 89FM SportsRap. Again, the Twitter handle at 89FM SportsRap. Now, Lloyd, uh, I mean, besides the fact that we did make some major acquisitions, the Angels, are, the Angels are obviously a threat acquiring Josh Hamilton, who, of course, competes with Cabrera year in and year out for that batting title. Now, besides the fact that, yes, there's this Angel team, we saw the Giants come in last year and surprise us. Uh, we've seen the Tigers have a little bit of changes, and it comes with closing. Personally, one thing I'm worried about is Bruce Rondone taking over that closing spot. Uh, how do you think, first of all, if how are they going to mend with that? And second, is this the make-or-break year? We'll get right into it.
1: I think Jim Leland is really going to have to work with that closing spot because they're just not a definitive guy who you can put in there and be the closer right now. You know, Phil Coke they were talking about, and then the guy you just mentioned— But I think it's going to take some adjustment throughout the lineup, and once you can find that closer, that'll be a big part of the Tigers' success. Now, if the
0: Tigers do struggle with Rondon, do they trade for a closer? I mean, what other storylines do you get out of this team this year besides that closer? uh, You know, it's a little shaky there at the closer position.
1: And then the battle for the fifth pitching spot, and uh, Rick Porcello ended up winning that, but it'll be tough between him and Smiley for that fifth spot, and... One through five pitching, we, we're pretty solid, too. So it should be an interesting year. I'm excited for Tigers baseball. Yeah, of course. Now,
0: we seem very solid, and, and we do have a plethora of starting pitchers. Does that mean that we have that flexibility to trade? If you were the general manager right now, of course, we're not playing the game. We can't really say whether they should or should not make this move. But I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, they do have that that room to to acquire a guy based off maybe uh, getting rid of one of their starting pitchers.
1: Yeah, they do, and that's also makes it interesting. If you have someone who maybe they're not in the starting lineup, but they come in and they're a solid middle reliever in the seventh or eighth inning and they're just in there for that one inning and they're getting their job done, their stock goes up and maybe Leland comes in there and says, we need a closer. Dombrowski you know, trades for a closing pitcher and then the sky's right. the limit from there. And that's
0: the sky's the limit. And the sky is also the limit for Dave Dombrowski, and this is what I mean. We've seen Jim Leland and his job security be up in the air from 06 to 08 after coming so close to the World Series to the ALCS and he's just not able to come through. Now, Dombrowski has given him the chance. You know, we've seen the Tigers acquire all sorts of players. Dombrowski may think that he finally has that formula and he may have that ultimate lineup that should win the World Series. Now, if Leland doesn't win this year, I mean, what is the next move for Dombrowski? Is that an axe for Leland? Is this, if you're a Tiger fan, is this finally the moment you've been waiting for? I want to hear from the Jim Leland haters out there, because there definitely are some Jim Leland haters. Is this the time of day, if Jim Leland doesn't do it this year, that you see the axe? Is it, Lloyd? I don't no. know.
1: You can't get rid of Jim Leland. I think Over the years, he's had his ups and downs, but he's a proven winner, and he's a proven leader as a coach and as a manager, so I think you've got to give him at least two years. They made it to the World Series last year. Unfortunately, they got swept in four games. But if they make it back this year, if they compete, you got to give them one more year. Now, if they come out there and they just are horrible, they're losing games, they they can't get anything in the rotation. Verlander's losing. They're they're not hitting. Then maybe you got to consider getting rid of him. But if they're competing and they make it, maybe to World Series again, but don't win it, or make it to the ALCS. You got to give him one more year and just see where this Tigers team can go.
0: Right now, if we do give him one more year, and then we wait it out, we make maybe a couple more acquisitions, and then it doesn't happen. I mean, let's just look at the comparison as we'll get into at seven fifty. This Red Wing team, Lidstrom, they acquired Babcock. You know, they've had a lot of years now with with this dynasty of Lidstrom, the dynasty of of you know solid Russian scouts and recruiting some of these great European players. But there's still nothing to show for it. Uh, now it comes to the time where this might be a dead Red Wings era. Uh, you know, sure they're they're in the playoff hunt. They're not in last place by any means. But if the Tigers, uh, besides the fact they do have a lot of great farm uh, farm talent, if the Tigers do not get it done, is this the end of the road for this Tigers? Uh, this Tigers comeback, which was non-existent back in '04 and '05.
1: I hope not, because that's a lot of money that you're losing. <laughs> A lot of money.
0: You know, the Yankees of the AL Central is now almost non-existent.
1: You have the the Yankees in Baltimore, and last year, Baltimore, they don't have. They probably have half the salary cap or amount of money they can spend, and they go out there and they beat the Yankees. I think that that's a big part of baseball now. Is there's so much money that if you're you build from the ground up and you build your farm team and you can get those guys in there who can produce then it doesn't even matter how much money they're making as long as they can get in there and produce whereas the tigers they have so much money in their lineup and if they don't go out there and then produce then what's dombrowski to do next exactly and speaking of money you brought up a statistic before we went on here that was mind-boggling with all the
0: money they have how many home runs do they lose
1: they're losing 88 home runs out of their starting day lineup
0: unbelievable if you, are in, uh, if you are a New York Yankee fan, if you're from New York and you go to MSU, I know, I know there are some out there, and you're seeing 88 home runs of a Steinbrenner team, Axe, out the window, gone, what is the next move for this Yankee team? You brought in Kevin Euclid, that was a big deal, you brought in a rival player in the pinstripes, and then you open it up with him at Yankee Stadium today, and... What do you have to show for A-Rod sitting on the bench,
1: <laughs> all
0: that money, just sitting on the bench in a Boston route, eight to two, very disappointing. Uh, I, I have no idea. I mean, the Tigers obviously haven't made right now. You know, they, 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 you compare the Yankees cat, you, you see all the money, the Yankees Tigers right up there with them second in baseball, but we obviously have way more to show for it. And you said it yourself, players in the uniform in you, in new uniforms. LA acquired Hamilton, Euclid now to Boston. Then you have Torrey Hunter to Detroit. Now, besides the fact, uh, do you think that Torrey Hunter, as old as he is, he's a proven veteran, will he keep this up? Is this going to be uh, you know, his productive year that he that he showed last year?
1: The good thing about having Torrey Hunter on the team is you have Austin Jackson at center field. So you don't have to worry about he's, he's playing right field now instead of center field. So that's a lot less stress on your body if you think about it because the center field has to cover so much more ground that, that he can stay healthier longer. And then, you know, hopefully he can add to his batting percentage a little bit because he'll be healthier. Right.
0: 517-432-3893. Phone lines are a little quiet today. I'm sure maybe we'll get a call later in the show Uh, besides the fact that yes, this Tiger team, uh, they may be the favorite, uh, Torrey Hunter may need to keep his average up. Like Lloyd was saying, let's talk about some of the other necessities outside of Detroit Tiger baseball and talk about this MSU basketball team. One of the necessities for this team, as Lloyd and I were discussing earlier and we'll get right into it is our big men. Derek Nix is gone. Adrian Payne may be gone. Will he be gone? Come back, Adrian. <laughs> come back, we need Adrian. Him back. I mean, we remember watching when, when, when Mark D'Antonio was was ex- not only expecting Le'Veon Bell, or expecting an a thousand yard back. He said it in his press conference. We are counting on our running game to contribute a thousand yards a year. We're expecting our back, you know, to get plenty of carries a game. Basically, hinting Le'Veon Bell, please come back. Now you look at Adrian Payne. Tournament shows that he's got a lot of high ceilings, and he's got a lot of hype behind him, especially from a lot of NBA scouts. Now, if Payne goes, the two big men, as we discussed earlier, to fill in for next year, our, our starting big men next year will be Alex Ghana and Costello. I.
1: What does Izzo do
0: there? What is well, not only does what does Izzo do, but I mean. They can't expect nearly the same kind of contributions, can they? Or as someone no. who has played with this team, how how are, are, are those two players, Ghana and Costello, going to fit with Keith, maybe even Gary, if he stays, and Dawson next year?
1: Costello has a lot of upside to his game, but he's still raw and he needs to develop his postgame. And that's what he's going to work on in the offseason. With Ghana, I don't know. Um, I, I saw him play when he was a freshman and he's almost the same player as he was as a freshman, as a junior. He hasn't really developed his game that much, so I don't know how much he's going to be able to develop his game from his junior to his senior year. The thing that scares me about Payne leaving is a couple years ago, as you remember, when Darrell Summers and Kalen Lucas decided to come back for their senior year. They didn't get drafted, whereas their draft stock was highest. Their junior year, you know, they were in the Final Four in the national championship. Everyone wanted them. They were projected as first-round picks, and they said, no, we're coming back. We want to win a championship, and it didn't end up happening. Now neither of them are in the NBA. Right. With Adrian Payne, he needs to come back, I think, because he's still raw too, and he needs to develop his postgame a little more. before This year, unbelievable. He developed his shot. He was pulling threes left and right. I yeah. couldn't believe it. <laughs> but he still needs to work on his post game, and he's still not big enough to be an NBA player. He has the athleticism, but he's not big enough yet. And I think if he goes, it'll be a pr- premature decision, and he's just running for the money instead of making the right choice for him in the long run.
0: Wow. You made some great points. First off, if Costello does establish that low postgame, Lloyd, I mean, you've seen him way more than most people
1: in practices.
0: Is he going to be in, uh, an NBA potential player?
1: What's his ceiling like? He reminds me of a Paul Davis, where he, he's athletic he's athletic enough, but if he gets a post game where he can do an up and under and he can – finish down low because he can already finish but if he has a go-to post move then his ceiling is going to be very high and he can one day be in the NBA.
0: Now does he have the kind of the, the kind of shooting ability that Davis had from the outside or?
1: Yeah this summer I was on his team and he was pulling up threes and he was actually he has a very good fluid shot but I think he was a freshman so I don't think Izzo really let him show that this year where he just wanted him to come in and fill his role and be in there for Knicks and Payne, but next year I think Izzo is going to let him open up his um, potential being on offense. And if he works on his shot this summer and his post game, and be able to play in and out, he'll be a very good player for us.
0: There you have it from Lloyd Pradel five one seven four three two three eight nine three. The hype of Costello. If Adrian Payne is gone, which brings me to my next question that I was going to talk to you about is let's just get into the fact that this may be the best time for him to not go in terms of his NBA future. But if he goes this year, he will be probably what a top 20 pick or
1: late first round
0: late first. Now, if, if, if pain stays another year and, and you said it yourself, we saw Summers and Lucas go. And after that final four run, the championship run yet, they still did not even get drafted because that extra year ended up hurting him. Now, This was a Spartan team this year, very well built. Tom Izzo obviously gave Nixon another chance, despite all his off-the-court issues. But this was a Michigan State team that was projected to maybe match that Darrell Summers and Kaelin Lucas, um, that that performance that that team did years ago. Now, do you think that maybe the the aspect that, yes, Payne wants to win a Final Four, he is hungry to win and, and dominate in the college game, is that another aspect to this whole equation?
1: Yeah, and Izzo has this thing where he can take his players and just make them want to come back even though they shouldn't and they want to chase a national championship dream. But Izzo hasn't been to the Final Four since, what was it, three years ago? And Payne wants to be that guy because next year he's going to be the man. Izzo's going to build his offense around him and say, if we're doing it, you're taking us. Almost like the Draymond Green or the Mateen Cleaves of, this is your team, we're going as far as you take us.
0: Now, even if, if Payne does come back, there's no Knicks, the maybe correct move is they move Payne to center with his height and Costello at the four?
1: Yeah, that that's what they would do because Costello is, he's 6'10 on stat sheet, but he's probably 6'8, where, uh, and he can't really jump that well. Payne would be a good solid five for us. Interesting. Now, if you
0: are a Spartan fan, and you have the opportunity to see Adrian Payne back in Spartan colors next year. Does this put the Spartans as a favorite in the Big Ten Conference? If not, making a Final Four run. If Adrian Payne comes back, how much better is this team? We'd love to hear from your tweets at 89FM SportsRap. You could also call us at 517-432-3893. Uh, again, 517 517-432- 432 three eight nine three we are getting some followers on twitter so that's good it means people are listening tigers update right now four to two in the top of the ninth Uh, excuse me this is actually the bottom of the eighth so the tigers have to go through one more inning after this uh back to this whole pain issue uh you said that um that besides the fact that yes you know the move from pain uh, moving pain to that five and that four and that Izzo kind of limits some players' play. You know, he's obviously one of the best coaches in the game. Uh, he has a mold for each team. He adjusts his game plan for each team. Now, there's one thing about the Duke game, and we'll get into the last game right now, is that at sometimes I feel that after watching Keith Appling at Detroit Pershing, both of us seeing this guy come up, and now seeing him at, seeing him at Michigan State, I sometimes feel that he, is, he may be a little limited when it comes to uh, maybe quote-unquote running the floor or doing his own thing. I, I, I sometimes feel that maybe Izzo is expecting uh, a certain offense of, of strategy to fit this team. Uh, what have you seen, as someone who has practiced with this team, uh, uh, what have you seen from Keith in terms of how he's changed as a player after coming out of Pershing?
1: Well, in high school, he was a 2 He didn't even play point guard, so the offense was built around him where the point guard would bring the ball up, and they would set screens and get him open, and he could just look for his jump shot or take it to the hoop, but in college, they transitioned him to a one, so now he has the responsibility of not only bringing the ball up, but trying to score also and find other people, so he has to kind of teach himself how to be a point guard, and that's something I think he's struggled with over the years is, do I shoot, do I pass, I have the lane, but this guy's open, so should I pass it for the three? And I think he needs to kind of still learn how to be a point guard. Right. And, and although
0: he has some learning to do, does this limit Keith Appling? If Keith Appling was at that two position, would he get more looks as a two maybe in the NBA? If he's
1: going to the NBA, I think it's as a two. I, I don't know. I, he's a good point guard, Yeah. but I like him more as a two because he just, as a two guard— you know your job is, I'm scoring. I don't have to look to pass. I, I just get the ball, and I get open, and I score. Where the point guard has so much more responsibility that I don't even know if he wants that much responsibility when he's out on the court. If he just knew he had this one role to do, play good defense and score, it would open up his game a lot more. Right. Now, how different would this Spartan team be if Appling was at a 2? Would this be
0: a team that instead of focusing your team maybe on the Adrian Painter Maybe on Keith Appling finding finding his open players and Dawson and Harris, but is this Spartan team essentially with Keith Appling at a two a better team? Would this be a Spartan team that maybe would have ran and would have had maybe uh, maybe is a would have been you know better coaching his team over maybe Coach K's game strategy that game? Uh, that's another thing. If, what did you see from that game, Lloyd? That just
1: brought up so many questions following. Michigan State got outcoached. Um, Coach K showed his brilliance. The one thing all year that I saw with Michigan State is down low with Derek Nix, you have to make him go right. You have to, if he, if he catches the ball on the left post, which he normally does, you got to take away that right shoulder so he can't just do, the, do a move real quick and finish with his left hand. You have to make him finish right. But what that did is Derek Nix is a great passer, so when he would get the ball, the defense would collapse on him, and when with the defender on his right shoulder, he could look out and still find shooters. But what Coach K did is he decided to put Kelly at the top. Uh, instead of his right shoulder, it would be his left shoulder, and make him – he could only go to his left. But what that did is that brought over um, with number five Plumley, So right. they, it, it forced him into the double team. And he couldn't pass because Kelly was right there taking away the passing lane. So all he could do was dribble down and forced into the double team. And when Costello or Gono was in there, you don't have to worry about them scoring. So right, the double team right. was there, and it almost forced him into tough shots. And Duke, I mean, Coach K made a made a great adjustment. I don't know when he saw that in the film that no other team saw all year, but right. he said that's what we're going to do, and it worked. I saw at least 10, 15 different times where – it was both Knicks and Payne just dribbled right into the double team and couldn't pass the ball out because the trap was on him too quick. Right.
0: And Lloyd, that's an excellent point. I mean, no other team, no other coach saw this the whole entire year. Who would have thought that if you can double up down low and make Knicks, you know, basically make Knicks the playmaker instead of Appling, that not only would it force turnovers, not only would it force, you know, a lot of outside shots, a lot of four shots, but, the matchup going into it, Lloyd, uh, which many people thought, was the big men from Michigan State had the significant advantage.
1: I mean, did that hold true? Uh, maybe did they doubt Plumley a little bit too much? I, I didn't agree with that. I, I've watched Duke a decent amount this year, and I saw Plumley, he's going to be a first-round pick. He's really? bigger, he's more athletic, and that, that's what the game came down to is our bigs versus their bigs. And our, their bigs won. It's funny because I'm a lefty, so I kind of see. I saw all year, as big of a Michigan State fan as I am, I would see Derek Nix catch the ball and be able to just do that drop step and finish with his left hand, and I would say, make him go right. Do like I kind of not what Coach K did, but right. just saw that if you take away that right shoulder and you make him finish with his right hand, that he can't do it. And all year, he coaches would just not see that. Coach K was like, no, I'm I'm not letting them win. I'm going to take away the passing lane, and I'm going to double-team their bigs and let it, someone else beat us. <laughs> Absolutely. And it worked.
0: The lefty himself uh, knowing really what would have been the actual strategy in that game. Seven thirty, thirty 30 minutes after the hour of 7 o'clock. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Lloyd and I are going to break it more down in terms of that Duke game. Uh, what is going to happen when it comes to... Maybe Gary Harris leaving a a little bit early. Uh, What's going to happen uh, when it comes to this lineup next year? We'll also get into some dark horse teams, the Michigan versus Michigan State decision for many in-state recruits, and the Kevin Ware injury, which not only do we not want to see again, some people, uh, those daring to see it again, uh, can certainly do that, but uh, I don't think Louisville wants to see Kevin Ware uh, take off that knee and try to get back to the the court for quite some time we're going to take a quick break here at impact 89 fm you're listening to the spartan sports rap you're listening to impact exposure first
1: Hey, what floor are you going to?
0: Oh, uh, three. Thanks. <coughs> hey, didn't we, uh, have...
1: Yeah, that one class. Yeah,
0: that's so funny the, <laughs> to see you, because I <coughs> thought maybe we could, uh, would you ever want to, um, <coughs> I was wondering if you, if I could stick my finger in your eye.
1: What? No. Oh, I
0: just flushed some toilets and touched a doorknob. What? I've been keeping this moist Kleenex Ew, in my pocket. that's uh, so gross. I thought we could, you know, just stick my finger Ugh. in your eye. Is that weird? No.
1: Don't touch me. What's wrong with you? Oh,
0: sorry. Well, ever since you got in the elevator, you've been coughing all over your hands and pressing those buttons, so I just thought you were into that kind of thing. free. Studies show that three-quarters of women and only half of men actually wash their hands in the bathroom. That's nasty. Stop the flu and other germs by regularly washing with soap and avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Or at cdc.gov slash cleanhands. Impact 89FM. Happy April Fools. Happy Russell Bird leaving. Just kidding. Welcome back to Impact 89 FM. I'm back here with Lloyd Pradell. If you are just tuning in, Lloyd is a enthusiast, basketball coach, player, uh, and he definitely hopes to one day get to that Big Ten conference level. Uh, He's a communication major here at MSU and future grad school student debating between here and and Butler University, so you're maybe looking to go into what subject? You forgot the most important part, former that's, biffer. That's <laughs> right, former biffer. How could we forget? Uh, is Are there any biffers of yours listening out there today? Um, I think one of my friends who's in Kansas City is listening, so okay. shout out to that. Very good. Uh, besides that, um, we got to talk about right now, I, I know you wanted to get into this, is, is Duke. More about this Duke team, what they did, and, and basically what this Michigan State team did not do in that game.
1: The whole game, it was kind of like there There wasn't a flow to the game. Knicks came out there, got two quick fouls. Um, Payne got two quick fouls. And there just never really seemed like Michigan State could get into a flow. There was a lot of fouls and just a lot of dumb turnovers that Michigan State kind of did all year. But you can't do that in, when you're trying to go to a Final Four.
0: Right. And, and we've seen this Michigan State team all year, especially with dumb turnovers, is the inconsistency. We saw it in games they should have had. Of course, great opponents. I mean, we've seen the Connecticut's roll in here. We, I mean, well, across seas. We saw, you know, some great Division One powerhouses come in to the Breslin Center and, and even great Big Ten teams. And State just game after game, you know, Keith following out. This Is this Keith's team It's always that question. And then, of course, the turnovers. I mean, we saw it from maybe Valentine trying to do too much. And, and that's another thing is as, as someone who has
1: practiced with this team, Valentine's progression has just been shocking. Valentine was my favorite player coming in. I got to watch him this summer. He was on my team, and I didn't really know much about him coming in. I knew he won back-to-back championships at Sexton, but I didn't really know what his game was. I heard he kind of played very similar to Magic Johnson, and watching him this summer, I I really like broke down his game, and he grew a lot from the beginning of the year. He was probably the most... One of my most favorite players to watch because he just he was out there and he sees the floor so well, and he can also score. He you know he can go down low and score. He has a decent jump shot, but he's also a great passer. And throughout the years, I think he's really going to help this team next year and the year after.
0: Right, and he and he also had that magic hype coming in. Not that he was the next Magic Johnson, of course. There's one Magic, but as Magic was growing up, same in the same area bringing the ball down the court. You know, that's another 6'6", 6'8", guy, you know, bringing bringing the ball up the court. They could also shoot, distribute, and and even go down low. Uh, Anything else about that Duke game that, you know, besides those turnovers, besides the fact that, yes, this Michigan State team was a disappointment, but what about the legacy from this year? Uh, From Derek Nix's progression, I mean, I personally did not think Izzo would give him the light of day to compete again after watching... Uh, players lead the team because of team rules. We saw, you know, the transfer to Iowa State. Uh, who would have thought that Derek Nix, you know, would l- drop weight, get into shape, develop his postgame,
1: and be a leader for this team? A couple of years ago, he didn't even make the trip to Maui. He went into Izzo's office and said, I'm done, I'm transferring. And Izzo was like, okay, you know, don't go on this Maui trip. Think it over with your family, but I need a decision when you come back. He decided to stay, talked it over with his family, and he made a great decision got in the weight room, decided no more fast food, I'm going to work out, and as Izzo's quoted saying, I've never seen a player work harder in the offseason. Dropped all the weight and, you know, it, it did wonders for his game because he was, he always had good feet, but he was too slow to show his good feet, his quickness, and once he was able to lose the weight, he, his his game really developed. For those listening,
0: uh as so, someone Lloyd who who is a former player, and, and and for someone who, who knows kind of how coaching works, if you have a guy go into your office and he has his mind made up, quote-unquote made up, and he is leaning towards transferring and, and he's not happy there, but if he changes his mind, just like Derek Nix did back in Maui, uh, how how does a coach respond? How does the art of, of, uh, uh, of taking in your certain individual personalities, like Derek Nix's, and making sure, and just knowing that this guy deserves another chance.
1: He's in the doghouse right away. You right. know, if, if he decides that he's gonna stay, you need to make sure you're at practice every day. You're staying after. You're shooting. You're working on your fitness and your nutrition, and you're proving to me because I don't need you. You need me. And if if you can prove to me that you belong on this team, then I'll keep you. And you can be a part of this program, but if not, go to Iowa State, go find somewhere else to play. And that's what he, almost, he took on the leadership role of Izzo decided to make him the leader after he went through all those problems, and he could have said, you're going to play, but I don't want you to talk to anyone. I don't want you to be a leader of this program. And he embraced that leadership role, and that helped him, I think psychologically too, to say, if I mess up and I'm the leader, then what's going to stop? the freshman or someone else from doing the same thing I did and really took on that role. MSU insider
0: right here, Lloyd Pradell joining us on the air. If you're just tuning in 517-432-3893 is the number. Uh, You can also tweet at us at 89FM Sports We are getting some fouls, a couple of comments. So I'd love to see them keep coming. We invite you to tweet at us. Uh, Dylan's behind the glass working it all today. Glad to have him aboard. Uh, We always have our annual little thing called Score of the Week, uh, and it goes a little something like this. Score of the Week. That's right. It's our score of the week. And each week at the Spartan Sports Trap, we ask a trivia question. And it's your opportunity to win yourself a potential prize. Uh, in the past, we've had Cozy gift cards. We've had Peter Pick gift cards. Uh, we've had uh, Nebo gift cards. We've had uh, free movie passes. We've had all kinds of things here on the Spartan Sports Trap. all kinds of winners that have called in and answered the question uh, this week. We do not have a question. We may have one coming up in the next 20 minutes or so. uh, But if we do not have that question on today's show, we will move it towards next week. So I just wanted to give you a lowdown on how that works. Alex Sharg here at the Spartan Sports Chat talking MSU sports, Detroit local, and a little bit of national. And speaking of national, just real quickly, uh, let's just talk about this NCAA tournament thus far, and and additional to that Kevin Ware injury. We saw in the Michigan-Kansas game the case of foul or defend. In the double bonus, you know, up four. You could foul Trey Burke before he shoots the three, give him two shots. They're up, th- you know, they're up three points. But no, Kansas defended the play. Let Burke shoot a
1: NBA extended three-pointer. And it just
0: seemed the magic kept rolling, Lloyd.
1: When that ball left his hand, I looked at my friend and I knew it was going in. I told him it was going in. It ball went probably 30 feet in the air. But the second it left his hand, you knew it was going in. It was almost just all that build up and hype of Michigan back then and they haven't done well and Beeline changing the program around. When that shot left his hand, you knew it was going in, and I've never seen a shot like that in Detroit sports history.
0: Right, and that's another topic within itself. We look at Maglio Ardonia's home run back in the, I believe it was the 06 World Series against against the Cardinals. Yeah. And, and we saw that that home run, magical home run, you know it was a, he had to count you know against his favor you know clocked the home run sent the tigers to the world series uh or was it the ALCS he sent them to he sent them to the world series sent them to, to, to the, play the cardinals right sent them to the world series to play the cardinals and a very magical moment but another thing another thing to keep in mind was that they were up 3 to nothing this wasn't a you know this wasn't a one and done sealed deal NCAA tournament you know roll the dice kind of shot this was we've got some cushion if we don't hit the shot we've seen Chauncey Billups hit some shots but that was in a playoff atmosphere too this Trey Burke like Lloyd said like Lloyd said and I agree is the most impactful shot in Detroit sports history if you disagree we'd love to hear from you 517-432-3893 3, 3, what shot was better than than Trey Burke's so it the, the shot to I don't know any Detroit boxer that's come out of here Was it a shot against Dominic Hasek uh, when it came to the Game 7 Colorado Avalanche Series? Any shots that you you think the listener are better,
1: we'd love to hear from you. The most impressive part about that shot was that was descended into overtime. And Trey Burke in overtime, he had the ball in his hand and he said, I am not losing this game. He took every shot. He made another three-pointer. He had a great drive to the basket, made some free throws. And he was just determined after that shot that they weren't going to lose that game, and that was the most impressive part of it is you made the shot, but now you still got to play another five minutes in overtime. What are you going to do then? Because if you lose the game in overtime, that shot means nothing, and he put that team on his back, and he was not going to lose.
0: Right, and putting the team on his back, they're not losing that game. This Michigan program coming back out of nowhere. Now, as someone like both of us who, who follows prep sports, who, who watches some of these high school players come up, what does this mean when picking schools now? You have a great coach in Izzo. Now, Bayline finally making a legacy, starting to get that prestige. What does it mean for some of these prep sports athletes that are debating between two now dominant
1: Big Ten teams? In the 70s, it was Michigan. If you wanted to win a national championship or play a big-time program, you went to Michigan. And then Magic Johnson came in and changed that at Michigan State. And then it was kind of back to Michigan in the 80s and early 90s. But now, you know, in 2000, Michigan State won the championship, and for these last probably 10, 12 years, it's been Michigan State, and Michigan's been struggling to get the recruits. But now they're on an even playing kill, and it's going to be very interesting to see in the next couple years of who fights over those recruits, because if you're a big-time recruit and you go check out Michigan, there's such different programs. Do I want to be a Spartan? Do I want to embrace that culture, or do I want to be a Wolverine? And it's going to be very interesting to see how these coaches – can win over these recruits and we are in spartan nation so if we ask which
0: school are you going to choose the majority of callers would probably say michigan state but like lloyd said uh, different atmospheres different strategies and with coaches uh keith appling who won mr basketball i mean this is a guy that maybe would rethink his decision back then i mean of course he's probably very proud to be a spartan today but Michigan will probably start swinging, maybe a Mr. Basketball or two, like they did with Manny, Manny,
1: uh, you know, years ago. Manny Harris. And they have the new facilities. They just built a brand new basketball practice facility and um, development center. Have you seen it at all? I have not. I've just seen pictures. They updated the Chrysler Arena, so now they're on the same even playing field with that too. So now, how does the coach go in there and say? I know you have offers of Michigan, Duke, whatever, but how does Izzo try and sell those players to want to be a Spartan when they went to the Final Four a couple of years ago, but what have they done now to get the players to come here?
0: And speaking of selling those Spartans, let's talk about the selling that Mark D'Antonio has done at 745 as we switch gears here for the Michigan State football program. When it comes to recruiting, we have to get to MSU Sports first, so we'll certainly touch on this. Michigan State and Mark D'Antonio selling this football program. Certainly, if this was five years ago, John L. Smith era, it would have been a no-brainer for any four or five star to go to University of Michigan, if not any other Big Ten school. This year, we are seeing Mark D'Antonio go into the states of Illinois, go into the states of Ohio, go more out of state, even reach down as far as Florida and Georgia uh, and snag some of these three, two, four star guys. That have looked at other schools, and the big news coming out today is Michigan State lands six foot six offensive tackle Chase Giannakis, uh, who is heavily recruited by many different schools. The Spartans have also snabbed six foot four, six foot four pro style quarterback Chris Durkin out of Youngstown, Ohio, a, a, a school that typically sends a lot of Michigan recruits their way. So the Spartans are now starting to get those pipelines. And Ohio, and now they're starting to get those pipelines in Illinois. The Spartans to get Chris Durkin beat out Tennessee, California, and also Nevada. All of those offers, they they all gave him home visits. They all gave Chase Giannakis some attention. Uh, a lot of other MAC schools, some some a couple other Big Ten schools like Indiana, Illinois. But the Spartans starting to to snap him. Uh, first off, what does this say about this MSU legacy? Uh, is this really, this heart of a Spartan, as Jack Ebling, a mid-Michigan journalist, also wrote, uh, is this the time for Michigan State
1: football? I think it is. It starts with winning. Because if you're not a winning program, no player who's a big-time recruit is going to want to come to your school. D'Antonio came in, and he, had a, like, he struggled the first couple years. But now he's introduced not only the winning culture, but the family culture that the players really want to be around. They, they like the people they play with. He recruits guys for his system and his program that want to be a part of Michigan State football. And he's done a great job with it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And another thing he's done a very great job of is developing quarterbacks. We saw it with Kirk Cousins uh, years ago when, when he really wasn't getting that many looks by schools. Developed you know out of, you know, out of the mid-Michigan area into a phenomenal quarterback. Now we're seeing... A little bit of a controversy, which we'll get into right now, is the is the question of who's going to be our number one guy. It seems like we had the same issue uh, you know, many years ago, and it, it's starting to creep up on us again. Uh, Andrew Maxwell getting the year under his belt, and I know you have an opinion about Maxwell and his time, but then you're seeing Tyler O'Connor creeping up. You're seeing Damian Terry, the dual-threat quarterback who's got, who's got a lot of mobile tools with him and his arm. He's going to come in and compete for that starting job as well. Who, as we as we start to get into spring practices, who's going to get that number one position and why?
1: Well, from a coach's perspective, D'Antonio has to go out there and in the media say Maxwell's my starter because if you start getting doubt in Maxwell's head, then you know he's just going to fumble from there and you know you start putting that. It only takes a little bit of doubt for him to start doubting himself and he might go out there and blow a couple games, but. I think you have to open it within the team. You have to open it and say, if you're a freshman but you're a better player, you're competing for the job. It shouldn't be just because he's a senior that he deserves the position. If, that, if he comes out and let's spring practice is April 20th, if he comes out there, and I'm sure we'll probably be at the, the spring game, right. if he goes out there and he just impresses all of us and everyone says, who is this freshman guy? Like, You've got to give him a look. Maxwell better start worrying, and he, that doubt might start creeping in.
0: Yeah, and, and although he's had that experience under his belt, uh, how essential is it when it comes to this Michigan State offense? Having that playbook under, underway, is, is the raw ability of a true freshman even unmatched, although sometimes the experience overweights it?
1: The experience can only take you so far if you don't have the talent. If the freshman comes in and he's just so much more talented, than D'Antonio, sorry, Maxwell, you're going to be the backup if Maxwell can prove himself in the spring practice and in the summer and through all the the games or the practices leading up to it i think you got to go with Maxwell give him a couple games and see what he can do but if he goes out there and he's doing the same thing that he was last year of not being able to complete the passes and fumbling the ball next in line <laughs>
0: Next in line is right. 517-432-3893. Quiet lines today, Understandable. Uh, understandably because of everything going on when it comes to March Madness and MSU Campus right now. Uh, tweet at 89FM Sports app, getting some good Twitter interaction, so that's good. Uh, but also, uh, Lloyd Pradell joining us, a former Biffer and, um, of course, a, and a, a basketball enthusiast, fan, and whatnot. So, uh, very good to have him with us on the air as we dissect many of the sports topics. Uh, another instant breaking news update. The Detroit Tigers have officially clinched their opening day victory. That's right. You heard it here first on the Spartan Sports Wrap. Tigers win 4-2. to Torrey Hunter goes 400 for the day with five bats, two hits, and a strikeout. Eh, not too bad for his game at Minneapolis. Uh Verlander going 5 with 3 hits, 7 strikeouts, no earned runs. Uh Smiley coming in the game an inning pitch, 3 hits, 2 earned runs, 2 runs, 3 ball 3 walks, only one strikeout. His ERA is is way up there. Smiley didn't look very good today. So it seems like maybe that number 5 pitcher slot is maybe starting to, you know, go towards Porcello's favor.
1: Leland announced that Porcello was going to be the fifth starter. But Smiley came in there, Verlander pitched great for the most part, and Smiley came in there and just did not look good. He was couldn't locate his fastball at all, was throwing pitchers everywhere, and just did not look good out there. So we need a good middle reliever, and I, he, he just didn't get the job done. It's only one game, so I'm, right. I'm going to give him a little more credit than right, that. Right, right, sure. It's opening day, but he'll, he'll get it together.
0: Now, besides the fact that, yes – Smiley didn't, got in there, didn't do very well. What else did you see from this game today? I mean, we saw Koken in there. Uh, we saw Joaquin Benoit. Uh, we saw a lot of other Tigers hitters today. This this set, this set, amazing nine guys who can consistently contribute. But Avila going 0 for 4. I mean, that's a guy who, there was a lot of uh, controversy when he was even called up because, of course, Al Avila, very involved with the organization. It's very rare to see a guy jump from Double A Erie, to the pros just like that.
1: As we were talking about earlier the with the lineup and what positions are, are worried about, That looking at this lineup, the catcher spot is the only lineup. The number eight spot at Alex Avila is really the only position that worries me because he's a good defensive player, but he had his struggles a lot last year. He, he would go on these runs where he would do very well and hit a couple home runs and get these hitting streaks, but then he would have – 10, 12, 15 games where he wouldn't even get a hit. And that inconsistency is something that really worries me about in a long 162 game season with how he's going to do.
0: And you brought up a great point in terms of streaky players. Oh, Detroit has seen some shake, some streaky players. We saw the Chris Shelton hype. Remember Chris Shelton? We saw the hype in Brennan Bosch. Where's Brennan Bosch now? Not a tiger. So if you're listening out there, if, if Avila worries you just as much as Lloyd does, 517-432-3893. Five one seven four three two three eight nine three. We've got about six or seven minutes left in the show, so we're gonna to get to our goon of the week in just a little bit. But uh of course of course Tigers still opening day. We'll leave it at that. We got into enough of that today. Uh, but just basically one more Michigan State point for a minute. Uh it when it is is, is it, it comes for even more recruiting and it comes for more practices. Uh and it comes from Jim Bowman, the new offensive coordinator this year for uh, for the Spartans. He's got a new strategy. I mean, we've seen a lot with what Dan Ro- Dan Ruchar has done with that defense. We've seen a lot for what uh, you know this offense have done this year with Maxwell. Re- the receivers really weren't there, but you know there are some guys that registered, including some linemen. We saw Monty Matters registered who's got a lot of lot of ceiling on him. Uh, you know, we saw a lot of these linemen get injured, uh, and some of them, you know, Fofanudie going out pretty early, uh, Skyler Rulin having to come in there early. But Jim Bowman is coming out to say recently, that this line has some NFL potential. Uh, you, I may be wrong,
1: but this was probably one of the biggest holes with this team. It was, and they were young last year. They were very young and inconsistent. One more year under their belt and, you know, the off-season, spring practices. I'd agree with his statement because we were almost there. You know, co- towards the end of the season in the bowl game, you could see that they were starting to click a little bit, but they just weren't there yet, and they needed – one more year of growth and getting in the weight room and getting bigger, and this might be their year. Absolutely. And another person who might have their year, uh, this,
0: uh, another year, another person that may have their year uh, is Damian Terry, as we discussed earlier. Uh, we've got about five minutes left, so before we get to our Goon of the Week within the last minute or two, we're going to hold off on that. Uh, let's just talk about, uh, I mean, is there anything you want to talk about specifically before we move on?
1: Just the Red Wings.
0: Yeah, uh, that's exactly what I was going to get to next, is this Detroit Red Wings team will avoid the Kevin Ware injury. If you did not see it, some breaking news out of there. He's moving around on crutches. He will travel to the Final Four. The timetable for Kevin Ware's return out of Louisville, it looks to be anywhere between six months, uh, a year and a half. So just amazing. I mean, Lloyd, you were showing me a picture before this. Just It's something that you've got to be very strong to see that picture.
1: It was horrible watching that live. I've never seen anything like it. Just the players' reactions, sitting on the bench and how all the players just fell down. I didn't really see what happened at first, and then I looked over and I watched, I rewinded it and watched the review preview of it, and I just, that was horrible. I wish him the best of luck and speedy recovery. Very good words. Uh, Detroit Red Wings now, uh,
0: actually, they just honored Gordie Howe on his 85th birthday, birthday on Sunday. But the Red Wings, 7-1 against Chicago. Uh, this is a Red Wing team, almost 500 that we don't usually see. Uh, they are, you know, just start fighting to stay within that middle of the, middle of the division playoff spot. Uh, what does this say about this Red Wing team? Uh, they've got some. There's some rumors about some young guys coming up. There's rumor of a guy. Uh, uh coming up named Dan the Kaiser, uh from from Western Michigan. Red wings are very high on him. Of course, Cronwell molding into probably that number one guy. There's Erickson in there who's a very big body, you know, very good on, on the forecheck. But what what is the deal with this Red Wing team now? Is this the the move towards a Dead Wings era? Are we going to get this this
1: talent crop consistently? The Red Wings will always be the Red Wings. They just had a transition year. This is their year where they, you know, they need the young players. They got some players in from Grand Rapids especially on the defensive end that are still growing and are still so new in the NHL. The stat that scares me is their power play and penalty kill. They're 21st in the league at power play percentage and 24th in penalty kill. So when they do get the penalties, they just can't stop the other team from scoring and they can't score when they're on the power play. And if
0: you remember, Nicholas Lindstrom's plus minus was the reason why this power play was so effective.
1: And yeah, with Nick Lindstrom, he's basically like a penalty killer in himself. You put him on the ice and the other team's not going to score 95% of the time. That's what we're missing this year is just that guy to come in there and on defense and just be able to lock down their best player. And
0: do they make a trade? Remember, there were rumors about Boom Easter coming here. Maybe they're trying to make a splash on any other defenseman out there.
1: They they do need a trade, but the only problem is the salary cap. Is they have the young guys coming right. in, but do you do you make a trade at the deadline and forego yeah. the next year being able to bring in a high profile guy?
0: Absolutely. five one seven 4, 3, 2, 3, 8, 9, 3. We've got about two minutes left in the show. So it's time to get to one of our favorite segments, and it goes something like this. Goon, 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 goon. Yeah. Goon! Of the week. That's right. It's our goon of the week at the Spartan Sports Rap. each week. We pick something or someone, or it can be anything. It's very open. We're always open to new ideas here of, of what we think is a little bit... Uh, just something that either, A, the, a person did not make a right decision, a smart decision, but something was a little bit odd. Uh, if you open your doors, if you open your windows in East Lansing uh, following the Spartans lost the Duke, man, not only did you see some things or some people uh, a little bit odd, but you saw a lot of color. And what I mean by color is you saw flames, you saw red, you saw burning everywhere in the city of East Lansing. The streets of Harrison, the streets of Cedar Village were in flames with couches, uh, we've seen this years ago as the tradition started. It was rumored to be students. Some may say that it was residents, not those part of Michigan State University. I mean, Lloyd, you've been here longer than I have. I mean, what do you think about this?
1: We've been notoriously known for burning couches since uh, '99 when is this they a, lost. is this
0: a bad boy image? Is this like a good image to have?
1: Uh, the university would say no. I think it's <laughs> kind of funny though. Uh, yeah. It's just it's every year it seems like when we lose. There's couches keep being burned. It's almost even whether we like it or not. That's kind of what we're known for now,
0: right? And of course, we'd love to hear your goons of the weeks. Uh, we'd love to take your opinion for who you think we should put as our goon next week. Tweet at us at eighty nine FM Sports Rap next week if you have a goon suggestion. Uh, just to cap this off, though, I mean, man, uh, I was thinking that the only way that start that Spartan fans would burn couches is not if they lost, but if there was a bad call made. We saw it with many games where refs, you know, Izzo's not going to go out and say this. That's the Tom Izzo respect factor. But we've seen many games this year, close games where Spartan fans get very angry because of a referee's call.
1: Yeah, they show their displeasure by burning couches.
0: (laughs) And the displeasure hopefully will not continue as the Spartans will rebuild their team next year. I want to thank Lloyd Pradell for coming on here today. It's been Thank a you great, for having me. Absolutely. It's been a great experience. A former Biffer reconnecting. He's given some great knowledge, some MSU insider info that we, of course, uh, really do not get enough of here at Impact 89FM. I want to thank Dylan Jerome, behind the glass, queuing everything up as usual. He's doing a great job. Uh, want to remind you, we're back every Monday from 7 to 8 p.m. weekly at 88.9 or online at Impact 89 fm.org happy russell bird pro day everybody and march madness is finally getting under to the final ways we'll see you next week seven to eight on monday on impact 89 fm go green you've been listening to the spartan sports Wrap on impact exposure tune in every week for more of the greatest sports information news and analysis
1: here and only here on impact 89 fm